Here's the stretch. The pitch to the right-handed batter. And Hey, welcome to another edition of Three Strikes. It's a Friday, so that means it must be Three Strikes Day. Uh, at least that's what it seems like for the last uh, cycle or two. And of course, we live only in the moment, so the last cycle or two is the only thing that matters. Uh, today, I am—I uh, should say—I am Ron Collins, general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine. For all those thousands of people who come in every every episode, brand new, they need to know who I am. Uh, today I have Joe Letterer with me, who is the general manager of the Boise Spuds, and uh, first timer on Three Strikes. Uh, we have the general manager of the Nashville Bluebirds, Chad Nason, here with us. Chad, welcome aboard. Thanks for taking your time to be with us. Thanks for having me. And uh, Joe, welcome back. Thanks for having me. And I, I don't don't fool the listeners. It's part of your contract that uh, you get top billing uh, on this uh, on this podcast. Yeah, it's not really what I wanted, but my agent pretty much demanded it so that he could get a few <laughs> extra bucks and, uh, you know, pay off the Mercedes. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, does your agent take 85% like mine does? Uh, no, uh, my agent takes the exact same cut as I do. I, I, I work independently as my, my own agent. Luckily, I'm not married because that, uh, that's another uh, a cut that would have to go out. But uh, luckily, I'm saving on that. Uh, there you go. All if right. you need new representation, I only charge 6%. So oh, well, up. let's talk after this, Chad. You got it. <laughs> and you're probably worth every percent. Absolutely. No Absolutely. Doubt. Without any question, double the double the value. Uh, all right, so let's get going. We've got a uh, new sim as of last night and uh, lots of fun things going on. Joe, you want to throw out our uh, uh, first pitch here today for see if you can strike us out? Sure, I, I got uh, I got a little loose this morning, so I think uh, I think the arms ready to to rock and fire. Uh, I'm going to throw this out here. Um, you know, the the fun thing about all these podcasts and articles and in the media guide and on the forum is, you know, you hear you hear a lot of new names, but you hear a lot of the same names. Um, but one name that we don't hear for for whatever reason is Julio Barajas, and my, my, the strike I'm throwing out is. Not sure what the right terminology is, but he, is he the most underrated star in the BBA, or is he the least discussed uh, excellent player, or is he the you know greatest under the radar stud in the league? I don't know what what you want to call it, but I feel like Julio Barajas, right fielder of Rockville, uh, hardly gets any really any mention, and uh, it's well deserving. I mean, he broke in the league. Uh, at the age of 18, uh, a year after he was drafted, um, had an incredible rookie year, you know, nearly four war in, in, in about 80 games. Um, that's the lowest war he's had in, in his career. He had 5.1 war in, in 2041, and this year he's on pace for eight war. Um, he's currently at, at, the, at the time of this sim, he's leading the Johnson in, in batting average, and he's second in OPS. Uh, but this guy just doesn't get mentioned uh, in podcasts or articles. He has no all-star game uh, appearances. He's got no Puckett Golden Bat Awards. Um, he's just an all-around awesome hitter. Um, he doesn't run. He isn't a great fielder. But uh, if we're just looking at offensive numbers, uh, it's hard to say there. You know, the guy isn't deserving of what we say about you know Rivera and French and Sliz and 
Felipe Vega and you know Archibald Deli gets a lot a lot more pub and I think Barajas is a better offensive player. Um, you know, I didn't even mention Pedro Huerta, who's underrated in himself, but he's at least made a couple of All Star game appearances. So I wanted to, wanted to know if you guys think you know Barajas deserves a lot more pub, or if there's you know other players uh, around the league that uh, are similar that we're not talking about. I don't know, Jed. You want to try to field this one first? Um, sure. Yeah, I think he's a he's obviously a great player. He's uh, I think a lot of the stars taken away from him because of where he's batting in the lineup. Um, he's surrounded by Daniel Pepper and Bing Dezal, and I mean they're great players on on their own accord. Um, but yeah, Bras is a great player. He's not even really a platoon player. Um, I mean, he's obviously a great left-handed bat, but I mean, he's going to add a lot more even against lefties. He's, I I believe he's got a 104 OPS plus, so he's just slightly above average against lefties and then just completely destroys righties. Um, very consistent. I, I always love consistent players in OTP. You get a lot of inconsistencies, which throws off all your planning usually, (laughs) Um, but I mean, he's consistently putting out five war. Um, I mean, I'd love to have him on my team. So if Aaron wants to trade him to me, I'm all ears, but, um, I don't think he's going to be doing that anytime soon. Um, and I mean, it's awesome. He's, he came in a league as an 18 year old and just started tearing it up. Um, I mean, I, I think from an MLB step point of view, he's kind of like a, a Bernie Williams, a, a better Bernie Williams, but, some guy that's just kind of under the radar, consistent, and he's going to give you about five war a year. And um, he's just overshadowed a little bit where he's at. And, I mean, he's just tearing up the Johnson League year after year. So um, good for Aaron. He's got a good player on his hands. And I, I'm surprised he hasn't made an all-star again. That that really blows my mind. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a good point about about where he's playing. I mean, the Rock, the talk about Rockville for the last – five or six years has always been the big three pitchers. And then you brought up, you know, Pepper and Zhao and there's Alomar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he he, he actually he, he doesn't just get lost in the shuffle of the Johnson uh, or even in the Atlantic division. He kind of gets lost in the shuffle of his own team. I like the way you introduced the topic because, you know, underrated, least publicized is a double edged sword there. Uh, he plays on Rockville, and so he has a lot of good players around him. Aaron is not the most um, vocal general manager around, you know, describing his players at the time that they're doing great things and things like that. So from a publicity standpoint, he's no Yellow Springs <laughs> or, <laughs> or Chicago. You know, but then you also look at Award. You talked about him not having all-star games and so forth, and or Sawyers or Puckets. You look at the first-base Puckett Award winners for, since the time he's been in the league, and you see guys like Suniga and Mao and Stinson. And so his competition at that level is pretty high also. I like your pick. I'd been, I spent about a half hour or an hour here this morning kind of trying to pick through other guys. And uh, Manubu Shimuzu is a guy who won a who recently won a did he win a pucket? I don't think he actually won a pucket. Uh, is a guy who is I think I think underrated still or under talked about. I'll put it that way because mm-hmm. um, you don't usually hear his name in a lot of these podcasts. Salvador Allende won a pucket, but I don't think anyone would actually know it as a shortstop. So those two Madison guys are interesting takes. Twin Cities got Jose Cordero, Cordero, a 24-year-old first baseman who's just a consistent four-war player. Uh, Very few people talk about. And there's probably six or eight or ten others that you could point at. 
To me, the closest that I would get to is Jeffrey Smith, who has actually been to an All-Star game uh, and does on rare occasions get kind of talked about, but he has no other um, awards, and he's just a solid four or five kind of war guy and has been for several years. But at the end of the day, as I look through it, I, I buy your conversation that Barajas is probably the most underrated, least publicized guy for uh, least award, <laughs> best player who doesn't have a bunch of awards uh, kind of a guy. So that, that was interesting. Yeah, Smith is, is another guy. It is a great example. He he may be even uh, slightly better, you know, just by looking at war. He, he's top five war a couple of times, um, but he has one all-star appearance. So, yeah, that's another guy. And, and it's kind of similar. You know, uh, Taylor isn't the most vocal guy uh, in Vancouver. You know, Vancouver hasn't had the team accolades that that Rockville has had. So, um, you know, he doesn't nearly get enough press as as he should as well. He he probably got some press this week, though, when he was suspended uh, for for a brawl. So so maybe he's getting pissed and he he wants to see his name in the papers. Yeah, and uh, Chad, I'd be interested in your point of view as uh, the newest of the GMs in this grouping. I'm interested in your perspective. Are awards made by PR and press or awards made by by performance or how much of a mix is there? As you're looking at coming into the Brewster, how much does the fact that Team A hypes their players more or talks about them more or that they just show up on these podcasts, how much does that influence you versus spending your time digging through and getting a BBA centric perspective yourself. That's a really long winded way of asking kind of, <laughs> kind of a dumb question, I guess I, I, I'll leave you an open mic on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really pay attention to the awards too much. I, I mean, I, I like those under the radar players that seem a little humble and just like more affordable, but, and then you got teams like yellow Springs nine who are pitching uh for, for their players to get all the awards. And, I thought about competing with that last year. I just realized it's not even worth my time competing against you, trying to to pitch my players for especially De Medici and, and some other players. I was like, you know, you, you can have the awards if you're gonna if you're gonna lobby for it that much. I just don't have that energy. There you go. Um, well, see, it's not it's not lobbying. It's that I get fifteen percent cut as their agent as any award that they get. <laughs> a yellow spring yeah, doesn't really lobby commission for. Then. Yellow Springs doesn't just lobby for their players to get awards. They they lobby for players on other teams to join Yellow Springs and get awards. <laughs> I mean, that's a good pitch in the meetings, though. I mean, you got someone that's <laughs> going to defend you and, and uh, work for you to get those bonuses. Absolutely. If you're going to offer a bonus on a contract, you might as well make sure that they get it. That seems only fair. <laughs> I don't. Sometimes I'm kind of Scrooge though, and uh, I'll, I'll not vote for my players so they don't get that bonus. So yeah. kind of like a Charles Comiskey there. There you go. I think it was Charles. Is it Charles? Yeah. Comiskey or Charlie Old Finley Tommy. or you know there were uh, who was it Clark Griffiths? There were a whole bunch of Skinflint kind of author, uh, owners like that. So <laughs> back or Justin Niles, make sure uh, doesn't get that last start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, Chad, you want to uh, throw out your pitch? Yeah, since we're uh, talking about Yellow Springs Nine, I uh, I just want to throw you a fastball right down the middle. Is uh, Yellow Springs Nine gonna break the wins record? They're currently on pace to win 119 games. Uh, the record right now is 115, held by Louisville or Loserville, as we like to call them in the Heartland. So, um, what are your thoughts on Yellow Springs having what it takes to break the record? Joe, you want to take that one? 
You want me to take that one? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, you know, we've had this kind of talk before, uh, probably with Yellowsburg. Actually, no, last year was, I think, uh, either last year or two years ago, Louisville came out ridiculously high, and there was a lot of talk. And maybe that was the year that they said it, or maybe it's been a different year. But, uh, you know, the, the, the win totals, projecting those out is a little different than, you know, seeing a guy is on pace to hit 70 home runs after three weeks. Um, you know, I think the team, you can kind of assess that a little easier than the, than the players. You know, Yale Springs obviously has the talent to, to set that record. Uh, they're above, you know, their pace is above the record, uh, which helps to begin with. So it's not quite an uphill climb. Um, you know, they have, Ron's got some things in, in, in his favor. He still has three series against Des Moines, and he still has one series against Sacramento. Sorry, Shoeless. Yellow Springs has played more games on the road this year, uh, so so their uh, their slate will be a little more uh, home-heavy from this point on out. My gut says yes. I think this is a, a ridiculously strong and well-balanced team, top to bottom, and it's got... Uh, it's got depth. So I would say yes. The only thing I, the only thing that's going to stop them, I think, might be Ron. It's his potential to maybe lay off the gas, you know, mid-August. I think Ron's done that in the past where, you know, maybe, uh, you know, taking pitchers out of the rotation or, or maybe a six-man rotation or you've rested players more. So that could affect, you know, uh, getting some wins if, if some of the backups – are playing or, or some of the star pitchers aren't, aren't going deep into games, but I still think the team's deep enough where even if Ron kind of takes it easy and, and rests his, his starters, I think he's going to do it. I, I think Ron is probably going to probably, I'm going to say tight. I'm going to say he's going to hit 115 on the, on the nose. Yeah. 115 Louisville won 115 in 2030. And uh, before that Las Vegas had 115 in 2006. So back in the back uh, in the distant days, uh, the 114 is uh, Rockville did that the first modern day year, 1995, and Las Vegas also in 2020. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't think that I will back off in the sense of um, saving players too much. Part of the problem with that, I guess it depends. I'm not quite at the salary cap. I am oftentimes constrained when I'm at the salary cap from bringing my AAA players in in September, which then Mm. um, uh, makes me have to run my starters out a little bit more than perhaps a normal team would. But I've got some a little bit of space there, so I might do that, especially pitchers, (laughs) because... Uh, pitchers are deadly. The one thing that's really going in my favor on this is that none of the games get played in October. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it a possibility. I just don't know. That, uh, I, I think things are going a little bit too easily for me right now. They <laughs> they don't usually go this way. <laughs> and so I would admit my superstition bell is ringing inside the in, inside my head. We did lose Carlos Pena, so I've had one injury same conversation that we had before with uh, Mexico City yesterday on the BBA today. You know, Mexico City can handle that. I can handle Pinata. I don't. I can't handle another pitcher injury. I don't think. But right. the main thing that the real main thing that I have going for me is top to bottom from a just a. I, I don't have any holes in my pitching staff. Every pitcher that I throw out there can get people out right now. Uh, can and are. So that's a pretty. This is a pretty fun little streak. 
But you are right. We watched uh, Louisville race out to a massive run, and then in August they kind of crumbled, right? Uh, but, of course, they came back. So <laughs> uh, I, I would be willing to crumble in August and not make the record and still come back and take a Landis. That would be that would work. Well, that's not going to happen. We all know that. But <laughs> I, I would shoot for the record, so, yeah, at least you get that under your belt. Yeah, that's, that's going to be the thing is I have to get the record in order to salvage something. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned not having any holes in the line or your uh, rotation, but I mean, you, you topping down the lineup, you, you have no holes either. I mean, lefties, righties, like there's no holes there. On paper, you should win 162 games a year. So, I mean, but that's the thing about baseball. You're just, <laughs> there's so much variables, uh, even with the depth that you have, like Pineda, like you're, you're able to deal with his loss. Uh, I mean, you might get him back for the playoffs, hopefully, or hopefully not if you come up against Nashville, but You'll, you'll probably get Pineda back for the playoffs, which will be nice. I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with the record, but hopefully that can get you towards that Landis. But even without Pineda, you're you're still pretty good at pitching. But, yeah, another starter out is going to be rough. Um, a bull, If you lose a bullpen arm, you might be able to bring up Derek Chaney. So, like, you still you have options. Like you said, when it comes to September, it, it d- depends what you're going to do, if you're going to rest your starters and stuff, too. So, but those three sets against Des Moines are going to be good. Um, and like Joe said, you still have a lot of home games as well. So I think you're in a good position to to get to near that 120 mark somewhere. Um, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibilities, but it's baseball. So who knows what's going to happen? Joe, my question to you is how in the world did we get another damn good general manager in the Heartland? I, I, how did that happen? They're popping up everywhere, and uh, yeah, Chad's just uh, another very strong uh, GM. I'm glad I don't have to face him, and I'm, I don't have to face uh, you. And, and yeah, that Heartland, being a member of of the Frontier, um, I'll wave that flag. But uh, there's no doubt Heartland is uh, is is quite the uh, quite the division, not only from a talent standpoint, but from a uh, general manager standpoint too. Well, and the thing that is getting me right here is you know all that sandbagging that he just did. <laughs> Yellow Springs is so dang good. It doesn't have any single holes in it whatsoever. And it, nobody can possibly beat Yellow Springs. And there he is sitting right uh, second. <laughs> Wait, well, you didn't hear me on my breath was yelling, jinx, jinx, jinx. So. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, let me uh, take a whack at it. Let me stand here. I'm going to throw you a bit of a uh, curveball sinker EFIS pitch. You know, you throw those three things together, and I don't think it's possible to hit a curveball, even a sinker. <laughs> we are now 55 games into the season, and Jacksonville is actually contending. Uh, there is a, a bit of a, a question, I think, in people's mind as to whether Jacksonville was a real team this year or not, but they are sitting over 500 contending in the Atlantic Division. In my mind, when I looked at what Jacksonville was doing, and I've had some conversations with Greg Greathouse uh, offline, I think at some level they were thinking about signing pieces or you know selling pieces at the deadline. And you know, at the end of the day, their run differential is weird versus <laughs> their performance. Buy or sell, I guess. Um, is Jacksonville going to slip into the playoffs? I'll take this. Um, I'm going to go sell um, because I believe Jacksonville should be in sell mode. It depends what their goal is. I don't know if he wants to just get to the playoffs or if he wants to win this in the future, but I don't think he's got quite what it takes. Um, he's got a few pieces that he can sell to flip for prospects. I, I believe that was the main purpose for shining Sin May in the first place. 
I mean, he's struggling right now, but from what, what people have been talking about, what Ted's been talking about and Joe uh, confirmed, people aren't so much into the current stats. So I don't know how people are going to view that. But I think he's got two teams right on his heels in Charm City and Charlotte that I think are, are better teams um, and they'll start playing better ball soon. So I think sell your players while they're hot, Jacksonville, and see what you can get and build for the future because you're only a couple pieces away. Carlos Rodriguez is aging, so I, I would start building for the future while you still can. And um, But, yeah, I'm, I'm a sell on Jacksonville. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Chad. You know, they're they're on the outside looking in right now, so it's only going to be more difficult to get in. And like Chad mentioned, you know, Charm City's right there. Uh, you know, I've been touting that Edmonton's going to still make the playoffs. Um, hell, I'm not going to go down without a fight as well. Ron brought up the run differential. I think Jacksonville's a really fun case to look at because. By the time Greg took over for Tyler, I had a couple seasons under my belt, so I was really able to kind of look at the the landscape of the league as a whole, and it was kind of talked about on the boards and, and in Slack and maybe even in a media piece guide or media guide piece. But uh, you know, Greg took over a very very good franchise that was heading off a cliff, and he's had a vision, and I think everyone's been very impressed with his vision from the start he sold off a lot of guys he cleared off a lot of bad contracts uh his first full year was 53 wins and then last year he won 64 i think he'll probably get to 75 this year so he's winning you know 10 plus games every year so i don't think it was ever about 2044 it's probably more about 2045 or, or 2046 um, you know, the media guide had him for under 70 wins. So this is a surprise, but I, I don't think he should get kind of wooed by his success at this point. And I agree with Chad. He should probably, you know, sell high on Zuniga. I think, you know, the farm isn't still isn't that great. Uh, so he should try to add some younger pieces with 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 the likes of May and, and, and Zuniga. It, it, it's been a great season so far. And, and no matter how it ends, it's going to be uh, an improvement over last year. So Hats off to to Greg, but I would uh, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And I, if I were him, I wouldn't make that push to to try to make it. If it's going to cost you, you know, future assets. Now, on the whole, I agree with both of you, but I'm going to uh, peel back a corner of optimism. I'm a, I am 100%, I am 99.9% sure, as sure as I can be without being another person, that Greg had intended to to trade May as early as practical for as much as he could get. Uh, I'm actually of a mind at this stage that if I were in, I agree with all of your assessments. I think if I were in uh, Jacksonville shoes, I would be looking at this calendar for the last for the next month, and I'd be saying this is my litmus, litmus test month. It's almost a perfect month to have going into the trade deadline because mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple of winnable series there, and then there's a couple of series against some key opponents. And if Jacksonville comes out of the next month in pretty good space, then I think it's about time to maybe rethink. Because if you can get into the playoffs, then anything can happen. And you get playoff money Mm -hmm. and all sorts of good stuff like that. There are positives to it. Uh, I just think if I were in Greg's shoes, I would be hitting the pause button for about four or five sims. And just seeing what happens, because right now, what I look at it, this run differential thing is really interesting to me, uh, because what what Jacksonville basically is doing right now is riding a couple of superstars who are having huge years. Zuniga is back to being Zuniga. 
and they have a really solid set of defenders. The young kids that Greg has been bringing up are guys that I just like to see, which are people who play well, don't have big holes, and you know are probably better than the sum of their parts. But yeah, every time I look at the run differential, I go, eh, "That's a scary, <laughs> uh, a scary bit." So, and I have not actually gone through and looked at his game by game if it's just bloated by one or two really super bad games or not. Uh, but I was interested in it. I was I was looking at Jacksonville last night, and I was um, I was trying to scratch my head. So I thought, "Hey, this would be a good opportunity to to get a couple of different perspectives on that." Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of when I took over Nashville last year. I was like right on the brink of playoffs. Like could make it. Got some aging veterans. Decided to dump them and still be somewhat competitive, hoping to get that last spot in the wild card, get that revenue. Uh, fell short of that, but I was able to dump that salary, and it it really opened me up this season to make some moves that I wouldn't have been able to do last year if I'd kept that salary. So uh, it set me up for the future better. So I think I, I, if I were Jacksonville, if I was Greg, I'd I'd be looking to make some of the those similar moves and set up for the future. Uh, maybe get a couple more prospects while you can. Um, so if you got a big offer for me right now, you would take it and you would not buy on my idea of waiting another month. Oh, and a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you look at the Pythagorean uh, standings and, and run differential. And I mean, I don't know what's going on in there, but it looks like a, looks like a lot of luck uh, over in Jacksonville and uh, it's going to run out sooner or later. So cash in while you can. I mean, that's advice I never take at the casino, but maybe uh, <laughs> cash in that look now. Go. Joe, what, do you, what is your take on my wait for a month, buy or sell on wait for a month to make any moves? I agree 100%. Yeah, I think this is the perfect month to do that. If he comes out of June, you know, in, with a similar uh, winning record and, you know, the Pythag has, uh, the run differential has, has improved, uh, maybe that's the sign to, to, to push some chips in. I wouldn't push all your chips in. Uh, if, if he ends up, uh, under 500 and, and it's more indicative of his run differential, then, then I think he has his answer on, on the topic of May. I mean, May is having a down year. He's still very good defensively. He's, he's about a replacement level player. You know, I, I think he can probably do a little better than that. I don't know if it's, uh, getting out of Jacksonville or if he's just had a slow start, but you know, he, he dumped a lot of money into a one-year contract. I wouldn't even be against him trading may for another you know bigger contract for maybe a player that is also have is isn't really playing up to their potential but it's a longer deal i mean greg's in great shape financially um he's gonna have he has a lot of room right now uh he's a ton of room moving forward so you know if he can get a player that is a one win you know player or a two win player for the next three or four years even if they're overpaid um i think that's just another piece it doesn't have to be a prospect that he's adding if you can just kind of fill holes here and there and, and use the likes of Zuniga and, and, uh, and May to kind of plug those with trades, I think he'll be in a, a pretty good spot. And to build off of Chad's frame of reference to if I step if I step way up and look at this from a kind of divisional strategy standpoint, you've got Rockville who who is on a, a risk edge right now and maybe fading in the next a year or two if he can if he can't deal with the contracts that he's got laid out have we been saying that for like four yeah years but we're getting to those actual to the actual <laughs> dates <laughs> we've yeah. been looking at it uh, in the in the forward-looking way and we're actually there now with Cannon and Dempster 
but I mean that's the the challenge you get, right? And where where do you view New Orleans and their flow? Brooklyn is in a win now moment, and how long will that win now moment last? Atlantic City seems to be just constantly uh, churn it out at an eighty five win, eighty to eighty five win kind of a team. So they will uh, do their whack a mole pop up every now and again, and you can't really project that. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the questions that I would actually have to be thinking about too, if I were in Greg's shoes, is where do I see my windows and. Uh, to back Chad's point of view about go ahead and make your moves for tomorrow now, that may be a a better way to make them a longer running program. So uh, I don't know what to do with Jacksonville. I, I just I just think they're in in one of the most interesting situations around the league right now. So that's why I wanted to have a conversation about them. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. It'll be another chapter in, in Greg's story of you know reviving the the franchise. Alrighty, well, I think we've done our three pitches, and so I appreciate your time here today. We'll get this out, and we'll see if we can have some more fun conversations out on the forum. Excellent. Right, I do, I do want to, yeah, thanks for having me. I do want to take this time to anyone who's listening to remind them to uh, make sure roster cuts are in for the next sim for the minors because the lower levels are starting. So uh, we want to make sure all of the all the rosters are, are good to go, uh, so Recky isn't pulling out uh, pulling out his hair when it comes to running the sim. Chad, any last words? No, good luck to everyone except Yellow Springs. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need it. You've been listening to Three Strikes, a Brewster baseball podcast where BBA GMs try to strike each other out by bringing up the most interesting things around the league every sim. Music is Shake It Up from Beslian Studios, used with attribution. May all your plans work out this week, and we'll see you next sim.